Lovecraft Country took me on a on a on a on an emotional and mental roller coaster that I was not prepared for uh, personally. And thank God, I had the cast and these 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 amazing angels around me to hold me up. Hello, welcome to Lovecraft Country Companion Revisited. I'm Ambrose. And I'm Kelly. And this week we'll be giving a proper wrap up to our beloved show that's ended its phenomenal one a year ago this week. Wow. Wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. Hard to believe it's been a whole year, Kelly. I know. Very, very much sad state of affairs that they did not renew but here we are yeah i had hoped by this time um to be you know we're working on season two podding each week but uh unfortunately it was not to be um yeah yeah unfortunately but that's okay you know when one door closes a window opens is that <laughs> is that um, how it goes? <laughs> I think somewhere in there. <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah. Something like yeah. that. Right. Um, yeah. So, and uh, we would be remiss. I know we'll be digging a little bit deeper into this uh, later on in this uh, podcast episode. But, you know, there's also been some some losses, um, tragic losses, substantial. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, uh, Michael K. Williams recently um, passed on a transition in the great Miss Carol. Yep, Miss Carol Sutton. Yeah. Yes, as well. And so we'll certainly dive into that. Yeah. Um, but first things first, um, I know there had been a lot of discussion. At, you know, for a while, HBO and company, they were kind of quiet about, you know, the, the renewal of the show. So you, mm-hmm. there was a sense that, okay, it was getting rave critical reviews, uh, had a very enthusiastic, engaged audience. I know at the time, uh, the ratings were, it was, you know, was performing ratings wise, it was maybe even outperforming or performing better than it anticipated. So everything seemed to be lining up for just, you know, an autumn, it was just almost presumed like, oh yeah, they're going to, you know, they're going to do a season two. Um Yeah. At what point did you begin to think maybe that's not necessarily the case? You know, I think I, I felt like even at the end of our like certainly when we got to the end of our of our podcast, I was still very, very hopeful. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have those places where it's kind of like, OK, two, three episodes in, they've already said renewal. You know what right. I mean? Like you happen, you're in the, you're still in the first season and you know off the break, oh yeah, it's coming back for a second season. So when that didn't happen, I was, I was a little surprised just, just because of the content and the, the kinds of ratings they were bringing in each week. And then I think once we got past a month, I pretty much felt like it probably wasn't going to happen because these People love to um, kind of ride on the, they love to ride on the momentum right. of, of, of what's happening. And so 
if we get to the end of it and after a week or two weeks, they still haven't said that they're going to renew when people are still interested, people are still on that, you know, whatever, then I feel like it's probably not gonna happen. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to make myself believe that. What do you think led to the, um, the lack of a renewal? Like, do you think how much of it? Because, um, initially, there was a sense that, well, they were trying to, you know, I think when people would pepper Misha Green, show creator, um, with questions about, hey, what's what's up with season two? Um, I remember her saying, oh, well, we're working on some things. We got some great ideas. But it didn't seem like maybe it was fully fleshed out. So initially, I thought maybe it was a uh, a question of, well, we're just waiting on the content, right? Um, you know. The, the writing maybe hasn't been done or completed yet, or they don't—they're not entirely sure where they're gonna where they're gonna go because the first season of the show um, was based upon the book, correct? And it, and it covered the the entirety of the book. So second season was gonna have to go venture off in a new direction, and there was nothing to adapt. It was gonna be wholly uh, original uh, creation in terms of the story, and so the thinking was okay. They're just giving it time to develop that to, you know, to kind of see where they're going to go. But, um, yeah. And I think, I think for, for us, we, we live in a, we live in a different land than the rest of the, than the rest of the creators of the show. Right. And so we're sitting there and we're watching it from week to week, but while we're watching it, that's their after that's their post time. So essentially while we were sitting here watching it and probably even a couple of months before would have been past their last day of shooting. And I think when you're working on like a show or something like this, you go straight into thinking about that next season. If right, not even room. yeah, mm-hmm. if not even thinking about it a little bit while you're setting up this season. You know, what are the what are the little things that you can put on the board or put in the in the brain, you know, brain trust for next season. And so certainly by the time we finished watching this, probably even before they would have had this kind of information, because when I'm even looking and seeing some of the things that she put out that Misha said in terms of once they finally did say there was a cancellation, you know, Misha started dropping things um, that would have been in the next season Um and it seems pretty, pretty thought out. I mean, they looks like they have a Bible. You know what I mean? Already, yeah. I see something that looks like. You well, might want to. You might want. You might want to explain to the non. Um, you know, non actors, non showbiz people. I guess oh what, what yes, I'm sorry. So so like a Bible, <laughs> <laughs> a Bible is kind of like the. Uh, the Bible of the show, right? It is the the source and the main text of, of breaking those things out. And on her Bible, just like the first page of contents is, is well over 76 pages, right? Um, and so that's not something that seems underdeveloped. And so right. I just want to, you know, put out there that it, it was not uh, due to a you know, not having enough information for for what the next season would look like, that seems like well more than enough information to mm. make a a a decision about. And so, if you're asking me, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if, and if you're asking me, I really do think the show was a little too unapologetic. I think the apologetic. show. Mm. 
I think the show very much um, spoke to a lot of things that are are plaguing this society before and now. Um, And I think that not only was it speaking those things, but we were responding. Like uh, African-Americans in particular were for this show. You know what I mean? Um, And Mm -hmm. so, I don't know, maybe it was a little too... It was a little too much for him. Maybe there was too much too seasoning, much too much okay. Lowry's. I don't. Okay, I see you. It's a little <laughs> too much. Too much Tony Shasheree up in that thing. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it seemed like a. You know, I mean, coming off. I mean, you know, the political climate. Absolutely. At the time and and and, the, and you know the protests and I mean you know it's well documented what was going on in the country at the time. There seemed to be a a renewed conversation. Uh, and willingness, you know, to acknowledge the, the plight, uh, you know, of people of color, specifically black people. Um, sure, sure. And of course, there was a lot of, you know, much ballyhooed corporate uh, support uh, in terms of, uh, you know, acknowledging uh, and seeing and recognizing uh, some of the injustices. And, um, you know, there was a lot of dialogue about, you know, effort and resources, financial and otherwise, that we're going to be put towards that end. But here we sit, 2021, and it's, it's gotten, you know, it's a very different environment. It's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of quiet. Hmm. Um, I don't hear these same conversations going on right now. So right. Know, take from that what you will, but yeah. Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got a little too spicy. So... Speaking of the show Bible, um, was there any particular thing that you, you found intriguing about the direction the show might have gone in had it been a greenlit for a second season? Like you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, some of the concepts or ideas she had intended to explore in the second season? Yeah, I wanted to. Yes. Um, but I also wanted to look just real quick because I remember them talking about um, about kind of like someone maybe is it, who is it Casey Blois is the Max Chief HBO Max Chief Content Officer um what a title yeah i know HBO right HBO Max Chief <laughs> Chief Content. Content Officer Casey Blois is speaking about the company's decision to end the series oh um, okay Give it to me Yeah. And he basically, when you, let's see, he says, when you make the decision to not go forward with a show, it's usually a confluence of factors. (laughs) And that, and that was the case (laughs) here. It has to be something we think makes sense for us. And in this case, we couldn't get there. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So why is that, Casey? What do you think? You care to speculate that because when they start using words like confluence and you know they trying to, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, you know, you can smell it coming. Like okay, there we are there are what is it? There are a variable of factors, right? Yeah, like there was a yes. When we pull like, out those, you know, those those college SAT words, you know, it's you, you know, you know what it is. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, so at the end of it, that's 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 really all he says. That was the statement. So he didn't say anything. He really <laughs> didn't say anything. He just gave us a he gave us a word salad. Tried to use a few, you know, a few, you know, fancy words to distract and, and not really say anything. I just wanted to make certain that we had HBO's uh, perspective 
in in the mix here. And I just want you to know how um, shallow that perspective is. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's that. Um, yeah. Well, good. I'm, glad, I'm glad you provided that. So, and, you know, for any audience, any listener, uh, future, it could be years from now, whatever. You know, let, I mean, you have a voice. Like, voting is important and not to get political, but the most important thing you vote with is your dollar. Right. So, True. you know, if you, you know, you support people that support you or, or your interests, and, and um, you know, they have no choice but to listen. So if you want more content like this and that show, I mean, the legacy, I don't think it'll be fully appreciated. Maybe it's too soon. It's been a year, but who knows when and if we'll ever get something of that magnitude again? Um, oh, I mean, I have no doubt that there are people writing dissertations about that giant right now. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's it's certainly. I mean, look at how many Emmy nominations it got. Like something like I know. eighteen. Eighteen I, nominations, but how many did it secure? Well, okay. Like two? All right. So even I think I think the nomination itself is is within its own right, a win to, to some degree. Sure, they may have only gotten two, but at the end of the day, the Emmy saw what we saw in terms of uh, content, in terms of certainly it being um, worthy of that much recognition. Um, so, you know, I just, mm, I just sure. think, I just think that HBO made a, a a a not so great decision here. I mean, when I think about some of the other stuff that's gotten seasons upon seasons upon seasons, that weren't notable. Let, let me say this before we come across too harsh on HBO: the fact that they greenlit the show in the first place and allowed. Um, these, you know, beautiful people of color to, you know, to control, you know, to take control and to shape the narrative and have a hand behind it, you know, both in front of and behind the scenes. Um, it's to their credit, because, right, because who else has done it on this level with this type of budget? You know, this type of, um, I mean, you would have to, the only thing I can think of similar in scope or in scale, I would have to go to like the movies and something like Black Panther, right? You rarely see this type of investment um, given to shows, you know, featuring a primarily minority, in this case, black cast. So it was it was um, a, a miracle that we even got to see something, you know, with this, you know, budget and scale. Um, now, I mean, you, I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit just to say that certainly, yeah, I mean, give them their flowers. But at the end of the day. Um, this is an idea that had a lot of black hands on it, but it came from the inception of white hands. Uh, Black Panther 2. Black Panther 2 came from the mind of Stan Lee and all these other, you know what I mean? And so uh, I understand what you're saying, but I also I'm just What's to be clear well, no, no. And I, I acknowledge that. I just wanted to present a balance. I didn't want it to be all yes. anti-HBO. Like, I, I agree with the original premise. Like, you know, shame on... First of all, his statement was, you know, I mean, it is what it is. So they yeah. absolutely deserve to be um, 
taking a task uh, for their decision, or at least how they try to. They didn't even really justify it. It's just like, it, I mean, why even make a statement if that's what you're going to say? But at the same time, I want to acknowledge that, like, wow. Or just maybe shed some light on the fact that we really don't get these type of opportunities often, regardless of the, uh, the initial origin. And unfortunately, you know, the um, the key decision makers yeah. and the financial stakeholders that have the ability to say okay or yes to these type of projects, you know, they don't often do so and relinquish that amount of control to um, to minorities. Correct. Um, on this level. I mean- so, you know, that's, so that's, you know, hopefully that's not a, hopefully we'll see more of that. I, I don't know. I would hate for this be, to become a, a test case or an excuse for other production companies or for networks in the future to be like, well, you know, some other brilliant idea fe- featuring a you know a more minority ensemble uh, cast and and, and, and creators um, behind the scenes and have them shoot it down a potential or or not greenlight something c- citing well you know look 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 at Lovecraft Country um, and you know that was not sustainable and that yeah. was you know brilliant so why should we invest if HBO with their resources and budget and whatnot, they, you know, and that was a great show and, you know, it was not able to continue. So why should we invest? I hope I'm very hopeful that that, that doesn't become the, the new excuse. Well, Cause they had I excuses mean, beforehand and, you know, I, I hate to, for them to have yet another one. Well, I, I just think, you know, we were able to get kind of like a little sneak peek into what could have been and some of the things that Misha leaked. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, certainly when they, there are things that she put out on her Twitter about like the white lands and the next generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and certainly in terms of the white lands, she calls it, uh, the white lands is a territory that is completely overrun by zombies. Most of them of the slower variety, but with pockets of fast moving zombies too. One price of the origin spell was the creation of a zombie population. In years into the epidemic, a joint effort was undertaken to corral the zombies into one location in Central America. The White Lands now functions as a dangerous border between South, West, and Northern territories. Uh, and so that's one thing I would have been looking forward to is like zombies. <laughs> now see, this, and this is where we, we differ. And, and I know... That you're not, you know, necessarily a big the big horror fan. I'm not, you know, as I am. I, I wonder, like, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the show The Walking Dead. It was really a very yeah. I didn't show really watch time. it, but yes, I'm familiar. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, and I know I am personally, and I think collectively, and judging by the ratings of that show and how it's gone in the tank, I wonder if it's just general zombie fatigue. Like, I wonder if that um, played a hand in, like, you know what. I don't know if there's still an, uh, the audience, a captive audience for another zombie show at this point. Like, I wonder if maybe perhaps they've gone in a different direction that, that might have bettered their odds of uh, renewal because it just seems like the whole zombie, you know, I don't want to call it Thing is played out. Yeah. I mean, because the most popular, one of the most popular television shows, zombie shows all the time, is like, you know, the ratings have tanked. 
And a lot of that had to do with the quality of the show declining, but just, and then there were a lot of little other derivative shows, you know, zombie and spinoffs and all of those, you know, the ratings of the decline substantially. So I wonder if it's just not general zombie fatigue and, and maybe, you know, that certainly didn't help the cause in terms of coming to renewal. Well, I'll tell you what I, it made me think about, and I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm drawing straws here, but, um, it, just because of this this um, talking of like how this spell took place, right? And then the spell, I guess it made a zombie population. And I'm thinking that it made them out of regular people, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, and then them taking these people and corralling them in one place or one one particular belt in America, I thought it would be really interesting in terms of parallels that we're dealing with now with the pandemic, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, mm. you know, mm. all those. I just thought that there would be some really interesting parallels in seeing what's happening at uh, in Lovecraft country and what's happening in our country. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I don't know. Casting-wise, I know, so from the information that um, Misha had published or released, it was like, it was broken up with like new generation, old generation, right? Correct. Yes. And so I guess the focus on this show would be the younger parts, like like D, who I guess is, so are are the older kids, so Letitia or Letty Lewis? Letty. And I, and Tick Freeman, they're they're listed as older old generations. generations. So, what does that mean? Does that mean Tick is actually alive and he's going to be older in the show? Are they playing older versions of themselves? I mean, right like, now we're guessing, be, right? right? Well, yeah, right. this is all this is all speculation. But I guess, do you like? What do you think? How, what do you think it would have looked like? Um, so you, With- you've, 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 you've you've given us the pitch. You know, we have a you know sort of a zombie situation going on. Um, the states are divided, and I'm sure there are a lot of um, brilliant parallels to real life, and this I'm sure serves as some type of um, metaphor. Yeah, yeah. For, so for something, but go ahead. Yeah, the states are are divided between tribal nations of the West, the white lands of the middle, which I think is the zombie area, uh, the Jefferson Commonwealth, and then the new Negro Republic. Like I was all about figuring out, first of all, the new Negro the Republic new is- Negro the Negro Republic. I the need new, a t-shirt. The <laughs> new, yeah, me too. <laughs> but the new, like, Negro, the new Negro Republic is in the South. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about Back in back in the day, and when you had all of these different, uh, I guess, movements that were talking about the separation, or or talking about against integration, they always were talking about African Americans having a space in the South. Um, and so mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. I love that the tribal nations of the West, and I'm just guessing here, but the tribal nations of the West has the most majority of the space. And I was thinking, oh, it would be great if the indigenous people. <laughs> Right, the Native um, Americans are able to reclaim uh, the majority of their land as they should. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so the new generation has Diana. It has the new George Freeman, which I guess would be Tick and Letty's child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it has Billy Baptiste. I don't know who that is. Um, and then a new person or Y Spa. 
Sapa or something, Black Moon. So, you know, we would have seen some new people, but I don't know if like Atticus would have been there in flashbacks or if they would have found some way to bring him back whole. But you know who's not there? George. Oh, George is not there. Of course, he's passed away, and we know that in real time. Yes, Courtney B. Uh, Vance, and also Octavia. Is he dead though? Is he is he really dead? Like, or maybe that was just a parallel universe. Because remember during the show, um, yes, he's dead. Okay, he's dead. Dead. No, you just man, you're so harsh with it. <laughs> let me, let me, let me believe he's still in some, some no. alternate world. He's still alive. Oh, he's dead. He's dead. Dead. Thank you. Wow. Okay. No, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, the, you know the irony of that too. We were talking earlier about the wars. He was the only um, player on the show that actually received, you know, that won an Emmy for his yeah. performance on the show. Yeah, ironically, and he had the least and- amount of time. Right, um, but he is a he is a um, he's brilliant. He's a safe bet, and he's certainly yeah. um, been been Ooh, an actor that's an a long time. That's an interesting choice of words. Safe bet. What did you? Um, does that have some additional meaning? No. Safe first bet. of all, first of all, let me let me be clear. Courtney B. Vance is all the things. He's an excellent actor, but he's been he's been an actor for a very long time, um, yeah. and uh, I. I don't know if they're saying, oh, this is a great show. These are good actors. Let's give it to Mr. Vance, you know, because I don't know. I I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe he's at least, you know, when you think about his role, his performance, he might have been, you know, and again, I, I know that's an award for the actor, the person, and not necessarily the character, but maybe he was the, the, the least problematic in terms of, uh, you know what his character um, represented projected in the sh- re- represented in the show. Yes, Thank I don't you. know. Maybe, maybe. I'm but it, I mean, sure. but, but it just just is just a brilliant cast all the way around. So not to, he deserves you know, it. I don't want to reduce. Yeah, he deserves you know, it. All 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 of the nominees were were deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, can't can't be mad at that. But yeah, yeah I see I see um, in the visual representation, and you know, I think we may perhaps link in the show notes uh, to something where you guys can see some of what Misha uh, had in store for potentially for season two. There's a Jefferson Commonwealth and I was intrigued mm-hmm. by that. I have no idea of what, I mean, the tribal nations of the West, the white lands, the new Negro Republic, you know, I have some, uh, I can imagine some of what that might've been. What do you think about the Jefferson Commonwealth? Was there, did you read any information about what that was going to present? I really don't think we got much information other than what Misha gave to us. And there's a lot of visual representation. There's not a lot of explanation, but it's called Welcome to the Sovereign States of America, not the United States of America, the Sovereign States of America. And many many today would like uh, for that to be the case, uh, depending on what region of the country you live in. Yeah, and when I when I see this white lands, it makes me think of the zombies, not necessarily white people. Um, and so because they also said they're in that middle places to where they quadrant them. And so Jefferson Commonwealth, just because, you know, uh, white folks love Thomas Jefferson, uh, but all the founding fathers, all of those. So I'm just wondering if that's the if I don't know how the breakdown would be, but I would have loved to to like dive into this world and to see what it was 
uh, going to going to be. But you know, yep. such is life. Such is life. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. People, shows move on, and people do too. Uh, speaking of which, True. Um, some of the cast members have been pretty busy. Uh, yeah. And really interesting, like worlds are merging. So, so Misha, right? Um, Misha is signed on to, I think, direct or help write and direct some of the the Birds of Prey with Journey. That's Journey's in with HBO. The bird. Oh, they're gonna make it an HBO series. I think so. Yeah. Is this based on? Is it? Is this a spinoff for the the superhero comic book uh, movie that Journey was in uh, with? Um, yes. What's the other actress name? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but. That, so that's oh so that's gonna be a, a like a, a a series based on that DC. I um, yeah, I don't know if it's gonna be a series or another movie or. Um, but I know that Misha is signed on to do it. Uh, and Journey, of course, will be coming back. Um, so I just thought that was interesting because that's two people from our world, and our Lovecraft world. Jonathan Majors will also be getting his uh, superhero on. Um, he just recently joined the Marvel Universe. And uh, they have some As big. Kang? Or. Yeah, yeah Kang. Um, he even had a. Um, I don't know. Do you. Are you familiar with, uh, or have you ever seen the um, Disney Plus, the streaming network? WandaVision. Okay, yeah. WandaVision was a great show, by the way. He was on a show called uh, Loki. Um, he had mm-hmm. a little uh, cameo appearance. And uh, it wasn't clear if his character in Loki is going to be Kane. He was referenced differently in the show, but that's a lot of speculation and intrigue about um how he'll fit in into the greater Marvel universe. And you know how they like to play in different uh, media, be it television, movies, you know, film, right. et cetera. So looking forward to see uh, more from him. He was also uh, recently in a Western, um, yeah. The Harder They Fall. Did you happen to catch that? I did not catch it, but I think that Regina King, right, directed it, I believe. Did she? I feel like she did. I don't know. Are you sure you're not confusing that with um her or direction she... for for the, for that Amazon um one night in about... Miami? No, yeah, she's. I think she's. Let's see. The harder they fall. The harder they fall right? was directed. It says, oh, it was, "Forgive me with the pronunciation." The name is spelled J E Y M E S. Oh, Samuel. someone else. So I don't know if it's okay. Yes, I don't know if that's Hemis or James Samuel. Who also wrote the screenplay? Um, Regina King is in the movie. She's, she's oh, okay. cast. Uh, her character is Trudy Smith, so maybe that's. Oh, okay, that's where I'm. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, it has right. uh, Jonathan Majors, of course. Uh, it also has uh, Idris Elba, uh, Lakeith Stanfield oh. of Atlanta. Well, I know him most prominently in Atlanta. He's been in some other things, but speaking yes. of which, I mean, can Atlanta hurry up and come back already? Also I know. has a uh, Zazie Bates, uh, yeah, from Atlanta. Too. And uh, mm-hmm. a host of others. So I'll, have to, I'll nice. have to check that out. I haven't seen it yet. No, I haven't either. Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, so people, okay. folks are working. Yeah, people are working. Oh, and then um, Loki, too, is Wumi. 
is Ruby. Ruby was in Loki ah, too. Ah, that's right. Wumi did. There's another Lovecraft Country companion or Lovecraft Country connection. Uh, Wumi. Correct. Yeah, she she was in Loki as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. What about we were just talking about the uh, Emmy Award winning Courtney B. Vance. Yeah. Um, what other projects is you heard about anything else going on with uh and he stays working like he he, he yeah, keeps he him a job <laughs> right so, no i did i didn't uh find anything for mr vance but i'm sure he's he's out there doing loads of things just not really sure i didn't see anything when i looked it up yeah so very cool Excellent. so so I know, you know, our beloved show is gone, but um, is there anything, you know, I mean, you know, if you watched anything, been listening to anything, you know, TV, movies, music that, for you know, for people who, you know, who, who love Lovecraft Country, maybe looking to scratch that, a similar itch? Um, I don't know that there's anything out like Lovecraft Country. I mean, honestly, I, I you know... Right now, um, certainly what I kind of went into, these I, these have nothing to do with Lovecraft, but I watched uh, Mayor of Easttown. That's what I <laughs> watched. Oh, yeah, that was after. really, really. It really was really, really good. Um, oh, what about you? What, what have you been watching? Well, you know, I, you know, I'm a self-described well not even self-described people know me know that I'm, I'm a horror fan I, i'm really into the genre and um recently um there was a candy man i don't know if i should call it a remake a reimagining a re reload if you will but uh you know there was a new candy man film that came out um featuring um to draw another comparison to lovecraft country uh it was directed by a young uh, black woman director, uh, DaCosta. Um, mm-hmm. And I think she was recognized because when it came out, it was, you know, it was delayed. There was a pandemic and whatnot. So oh. it was originally supposed to come out last year. But it came out this year and it debuted at number one. And if I'm not mistaken, that, that was the first um, Number one debut film with a featuring a black female director or something. So it received some type of recognition. Oh, I uh, that see. was some type of first associated with uh, the talented Mr. DaCosta. And um, having been a big fan of the original, uh, and then watching this newer movie, that, you know, it, it, there were some familiar things at play. Uh, you know, as far as the themes of of you know, racial trauma and the horror that stems from that. And then, of course, mm-hmm. the horror from being in that genre, horror movies. I don't know, some, some similar themes uh, with respect to, to race, trauma, horror. And that, that reminded me a little bit of Lovecraft. Did you happen to catch um, the new Candyman? I did. I did. And you, you saw the original too, right? I did see the original. Correct. Ooh, I, I hear I hear dread in your voice. No, so what let's talk no. about it. What did you think? Um uh, uh-huh. oh, wow. <laughs> it's one of those. Um Well, first of all, do you think do you think 
there's any connection or relation to you know Lovecraft Country at all, or is this just a whole entirely separate thing? Do you see anything any similarities? Um. So yeah, absolutely, sure. There's loads of similarities in terms of the themes, in terms of like uh, if we're talking about uh, racial trauma, um, if we're talking about I think when you go and you listen to a lot of uh, like what Misha says about this show, uh, talking about how, you know, black America, how, how America is like a horror, a horror show for black people like just living here Mm -hmm. and especially, especially in the, um, the second candy man, those themes are much more rooted. I think, um, it's in the first one too, but I would just say that the second one I feel like has, uh, black hands on it, uh, African American hands, uh, curating it. And so, Therefore, I think it resonates on a deeper level than what I feel uh, the original one did in terms of like just having this one instance that happened 100 years ago or whenever. Uh, This one instance is talked about and brought through, but it's not really brought through through the entire movie in terms of right now. And the right now of that first movie would have been like the 90s, right? Um, uh, We certainly see the two different Chicagos, right? We see the Chicago of this white, um, I don't know, white grad student. And then we see the Chicago of Cabrini Greens. Um, But I felt like this second one... um, just certainly, I just felt like it did a better job in terms of connecting the dots in terms of racial trauma of then to racial trauma of now. Um, okay. And and how that plays out. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, before uh, we completely hi- hijack the, uh, <laughs> the Lovecraft Country, <laughs> a revisited podcast, um, mm-hmm. we have some time at the end. Um, I'd like to mine a few things there and sort of give okay. you my take. But um, first, sure, sure, sure. Um, I guess this might be a good opportunity to talk about um, what we what we opened the show with discussing is, is, is some of the uh, losses and just to sort of acknowledge uh, some of the uh, prominent cast members who are no longer physically with us in physical form, um, but whose who's, who's art and gifts will continue to live on uh, in film, on screen. And um, if we can just take a moment of silence to uh, honor and recognize the passing of um, Michael K. Williams and Miss Carol Sutton. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Kelly, I know you were a big Carol Sutton fan. Uh, for those audience members who might not be familiar with her oeuvre, you like that word oeuvre? I'm probably not saying it correctly. Oh, but I just learned okay. it recently. Hey, we just... uh, for those that you don't that don't know, oeuvre is like a you know, like you know, like your creative 
work, like a portfolio of your creative mm-hmm. work. Is that right? Great. Let's look. What's so, the, did what I say is, it right? What is, I don't know. What's the Latin? Can you give us the Latin derivative? I, I can't of listen. <laughs> okay. You know, you use your, use your Googles now. I'm just trying to, you know, I just, I just use a little word that I don't get to use all the time. And I was like, it's spelled O-U-V-R-E. So he I believe it's Uvra, but. <laughs> use your Googles. Um, no, very but anyway, good. Um, um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about Miss Sutton, you know? And Yes, Miss Sutton. So she was born, Carol Dickinson. She was born um, December the 3rd, 1944 in New Orleans. Um, Orleans she's, Nola. Yeah, Maybe. in New Orleans. Um, she's known, like some of her bigger <clears throat> films that she's known of, as is in Steel Magnolias, uh, Monsters Ball. Everybody remembers that she was. Really, also, I don't remember. She was in Monsters Ball. That's what it says. Yeah, Monsters Ball. Okay. Um, she was okay. also in Ray. Um, wow. So that's a good one. I mean, it's crazy when you go and actually like look at all of her. Her she has so many film and television appearances. It is crazy. Of course, we know I love her. From um, Eve's Bayou, which is my favorite movie. Yes, Eve's Bayou. That's where I know Miss Carol from. Um, So, of course, uh, I think maybe the last thing I saw her in was kind of like an older, not an older movie, but a movie on um, Netflix starring uh, Diane Keaton. I know it was something like where, yeah, I know (laughs) it was something where like, it was something like where these women at an assisted living um, place uh, decided to like become cheerleaders. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know, I know, but Miss Sutton was in it and I was like, oh, look at Miss Carol. Please tell Um, me, please tell me she was a, please tell me she was a cheerleader. She was a cheerleader. She was, she was good. Uh, She was a cheerleader. Okay, what is this again? Now now I'm going to have to, I'm going, okay. You if have that's on to Netflix, look at. I'll, stream that. I'll find it. I'll, <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes, folks. Um, but okay. yeah, that that was in. So, so it seems like from what it looks like, Miss Carol passed away um, on December tenth uh, of twenty twenty, and it was from complications of with COVID. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we we all. This uh, this pandemic has really kind of touched us all in one way or another, um, and Miss Sutton as well. We want to send you know prayers and well wishes to her family and to uh, anybody who's been touched by this virus. Um, you know. Yeah, that we're still having to you know deal with. Um, so hopefully, all of you are out there are being safe. And uh, yeah, prayers and thoughts to um, you know Miss Sutton mm-hmm. and all the people that we've lost. You know, absolutely. Um, so, and of course, um, there was a recent passing of Michael K. Williams. Uh, man, what a! And I really felt. That loss. I mean, you know, any loss of life, of course, is, um, you know, it's tragic. But, um, yeah, that one hit a little bit different for me. Um, just because I've been such a fan of his work. Uh, so, you know, I mean, of course, there's Lovecraft Country. 
uh, where he played Montrose Freeman, um, mm-hmm. you know, Tick's father. But, I mean, his credits and his background, I mean, you know, I think most people probably, he's probably best known for portraying Omar in The Wire. Hmm. Um, yes, absolutely. He's brilliant. Um, I think, pre- you know, President Obama had uh, <laughs> had mentioned that that was his favorite character. And um, yeah. I remember seeing one of the interviews, Michael K. Williams, I mean, he was just delighted by the fact that, you know, the president knew who he was and just had an appreciation for the character um, that he portrayed and brought to life. Um, but, yeah, he's he's just been in so much... Um, I mean, just just an amazing act, amazing performer. Um, he also had a, a very interesting background. I mean, he was a dancer. I don't know how many people knew that. Yeah. When I say mm-hmm. dancer, I don't mean just like street performer. I mean like you know, with tour, with backup you know, dancer, top acts. You know, yeah, you know, music videos, all of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so. kind of like that's kind of how he segued. <clears throat> kind of into into really like acting in the way that we know him is because he was just on like one of those headshots, you know, um, that were going around. So and Tupac, right. Tupac, well, like Tupac, right? He saw he saw that. Like, get that dude in here, <laughs> right? Because um, he had a very very distinctive scar. Mm-hmm. Yes, which that that's something he got to kind of like being out there. Um, and being a part of the the nightlife and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, he's certainly been in a lot of things. Brooklyn's Finest, you know, 12 Years a Slave, uh, you know, hey, you Ghostbusters, know, he, everything. He's been in a lot of stuff. Um, did you ever watch, you know, and he, he apparently had a very good relationship with HBO because he's been on, when I think of the best shows that has, that's ever been on HBO, yeah. He's been in most of them. I mean, he was obviously in The Wire, one of the greatest right. shows of all time. He was in our fave, Lovecraft Country. Right. Uh, but he was also in a show, um, Boardwalk Empire. I don't know if you've ever watched that. Yeah, I saw him. Brilliant mm-hmm. show. I was a big fan of uh, his character, and that show was Chalky White. Yep. And he just, whatever role he takes on, I mean, he, he leaves an impression. He, he he eats up the screen when he's when he's on it. He's just yeah. an amazing, amazing performer. And, I was uh, very sad. You know, to hear of his passing, um, but you know, I'm also very, very happy that we got to see him in Lovecraft, um, and that I think that it was an important role um, that he played and what he brought to kind of like in terms of like the gay community, even in terms yeah. of like he really kind of brought a, some really. Um, pertinent things to that character brought some pertinent things to bear in terms of not just like the racial trauma and all of those things, but it, it was really quite an illuminating part. Um, and so I was glad he got to do it and I was glad I got to see it. Um, yeah. And he, and he has a, um, I mean, he's, and he's done that before, right? Um, even his character is Omar and playing. A, sure. Sort of, a, we had never really seen on screen, you know, uh, you know, a sort of, sort of uh, a character of his nature. I mean, his sort of sexual orientation for the character uh, Omar was, you know, he was homosexual, but he was, you know, he was feared. He was, I mean, he was a gangster, so there was nothing sure. soft about Omar. And you know, you know, at the time, you just didn't see those type of portrayals, you know, on, 
you know, it was very stereotypical, but um, he, he brought a lot of depth and dimension to um, to something that, you know, we, we just often don't, don't see. And uh, of course he's built upon that throughout his career uh, in various roles and characters. And uh, he absolutely will be missed. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And so we just want to, you know, uh, give our, our well wishes as these people transition to the ancestors. Certainly, Ashe. Um, oh, and one last thing I did see uh, for you. Miss Carol Sutton was also in 1995 Candyman. What? <laughs> she was. In, we we, we right back she, to Candyman. She was okay. in. She was in Candyman. Farewell to the flesh as the angry woman at Matthew's house. Uh, oh, farewell. Okay, so that's one of the uh, one of the uh, what do you call it? The sequels. Never really was a big fan of the sequels. Was there sequels? Yeah, okay. so yeah, Farewell to the Flesh, that was like a, a sequel. So the original Candyman came out like 92. And oh, then, I see. And then there's, of course, the current remake. And then they did some stuff. And they might have even had a couple of straight-to-video Candyman that you know, oh. I would, you don't need to bother looking at. But oh. it, but again, <laughs> yet, yet, a, yet another, you know, I remember, you know, during the podcast, you know, Circle of Swords. Everything is a circle, right? Okay, so it's, yeah. It's connected. You know, Carol takes us back. Speaking of which... Um, one of your favorite um, movies is Ease by You. That's another right. great movie. Uh, if you guys haven't haven't seen it, hop on imdb.com, take a look. Great, great film. I don't know how would you describe it. Sort of very gothic. Um, you know, uh, black ensemble cast. Sort of. How, how, how do you? What is? What is? What is it? Uh, what genre would that be? It's very much a family drama. Um, family that, drama. Yeah, a family drama that certainly has some intrigue and mystery, mystery and mystique. Uh, it too takes place in New Orleans, uh, down the bayou, and um, it's a coming of age story. And it and Journey is in it. So Journey Smollett. And Journey, is in a it. very young, very so when young. She's a baby. Smollett. She's very yeah. not a baby, but she's very young. Um, and Megan Good was in that as well. Young Megan, Megan Good. Megan Good is her sister. Um, and then also we have Sam Samuel Jack. Jackson. We have Lynn Whitfield. Yeah. So it's it's full of all the people. Um, and Casey Lemons wrote and directed it. And Casey is also in um, Candyman. Right. Another, another connection. It's all connected. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Candyman, so we kind of, you know, breached that subject earlier and you were, you were discussing... Uh, Different aspects of Candyman. Yeah. Uh, I took it from your tone. Some some aspects of were problematic for you. Um, do you want to talk <laughs> a little bit about that in terms of uh, like there's a, there's original came out ninety two. We're just going to ignore the little sequel. So we're we're basically talking about the original ninety two film and then the recent uh, two thousand twenty one reimagining, if you will, uh, directed by uh, Da Costa. So I want to be 150% honest. I okay. <laughs> I haven't watched these. I I haven't watched these like shows like necessarily. I didn't see the original Candyman like in that time um mm-hmm. in the 90s when it came out. Um mm-hmm. and I'm just now seeing this new so I'm just now seeing them both. Um mm-hmm. and so in this iteration of myself in this present <laughs> self 
In this present self, seeing that movie, the original, all I could think of was the white savior complex, which is Ooh, which it it is so steeped in white savior complex that, that was, mm-hmm. I wanted to gag. <laughs> You don't you don't find the older films though that's kind of prevalent in a lot of the older films. You know Whatever. what I mean? Like sort of, you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> listen, what about listen. The- I mean, yes, I think you're right. I think I think you're right. I think that it is a a theme that, that runs rampant in American cinema. Uh, but it's so hard to like go back and look at it and and not like be like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> Well, you know what? Compare and contrast, and I guess it's another example of why it's so important for us to have a hand in telling our own stories, and you know, and shaping the narratives, and being, you know, behind the scenes as well as in front, right? Because compared to the the new Candyman that came out this year, big difference, right, in terms of the theme and the feel. Sure, sure, absolutely. I and mean, the focus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What were your thoughts? About the original. Um, well, so there's a lot of scholarship uh, that relates to that film. I mean, it's been dissected over the years. Because when it came out, you know, and again, I saw it when it originally came out. So the context is different than maybe from a contemporary context in terms of there was an appreciation at the time. We never had, like, you know, all of the prominent horror movie monsters you know, they, they weren't, they were never people of color. Like, you know, Jason, like most people went to the horror movies to cheer on the killer and not necessarily the, you know, the victims or the survivors. I mean, you had, you know, Michael Myers, Halloween, Mm -hmm. you had, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street films, uh, Friday the 13th films, Jason. So there had never been like a black horror movie icon. I mean, the only thing I could think of and this might have been sort of in a satirical type of way. It might have been like back in the 70s during the black exploitation era. And like that was Blackula. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You probably at least heard of it, seen a t-shirt or poster. But, you know, Blackula, the Black Dracula, you know, ha ha. But, yeah, but they're, they're vampires you know, in Brooklyn. Vampires in Brooklyn. That was. Oh, don't did you really? What the heck? That was, what are you talking that, about? That was, that was that was terrible. I mean, it's that was that was still, ne- there had there had never. I don't think anyone sees that as an iconic film for. No, Instagram. it doesn't have to be an iconic film. Right, but right. I mean, it was oh, an iconic or, film. What? What? No, no, a character. But the the Candyman character is actually iconic, like that. Uh, okay. Okay. I mean, well, you know, yeah. I, as the horror fan on the pod, that's right. I can assure you, like that, that was, um, yeah, it was, it was like a big deal. Like we never had, you know, our own icon. So uh, anyway, so okay, but here's here's a here's a question for you. When right. you're looking at, um, hmm. I guess it's a bad analogy, but, but. Yeah. You, he is like, okay, Freddy Krueger, okay? Freddy Krueger is the main part of that franchise, right? I mean, wouldn't you say he's the, he's the, the movies are about him to a degree. 
Right. Are they not? Yes, I'm listening. Would you say that this movie is about Candyman? Or when you say this the, movie, you mean the, 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 the new, Candyman the you're one? talking about? No, the old one. Would you say that that movie is about Candyman? Or would you say that that movie is about the, I don't know her name, but is about the, the grad student? Okay, so let me say this. Helen, um, whatever. That, that, there's some nuance to this discussion because one, the original Elm Street movie wasn't about Freddy Krueger. It's just as a series, he became popular and it became more focused on him. But if you look at the original film, his screen time was very limited and it was very much, you know, about teen angst and teen sexuality and, you know, the young girl, you know, that's the whole horror movie trope where, you know, you know, if, if you're promiscuous, you have sex, you're going to die. But if you're the good girl, then, you know, you'll survive through the end. So, <laughs> so you know, in that same tradition, I mean, yeah, the original Candyman, probably, he was probably more prominent than the other, quote-unquote, monsters for the other films, for the first film. That's that's okay. pretty common. So I, I get your point. I just don't think it necessarily, you know, it doesn't um, track specifically, you know, as a first film. Because all of, all of the ones that I mentioned... Um, in the in the original films, you know, they didn't feature prominent any more prominent than uh, and if anything, I think Candyman and his story and his backstory and the fact that her her mere presence and what she was exploring and researching, you know, was a, revolved around him. Uh, so, so boom. <laughs> okay, you can boom all day long. <laughs> The movie is problematic. <laughs> the premise I mean, I get, is problematic. No, and, um, I, and I get that. But I think I think most things from that, I think, you know, this is a reflection like the art doesn't occur in a vacuum, right? And so this is going to be reflective of all the, you know, societal things that help, help shape, you know, whatever lens, the societal lens, you know, is present at the time, that's going to impact, you know, the work. Right. Or how it's presented. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. But I get it. You know, I, I understand from a contemporary standpoint, it, it would be difficult. But um, so even even the newer film, I guess, did you have the same? I don't know. What was your reaction to the to the, the latest incarnation? I mean, know? certainly it was interesting. Who was reading? Yeah. Go ahead. What? what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say who who you know, and this was you know. Produced by Jordan Peele, uh, written, you know, uh, you know, you know, by a black um, female or black woman director, uh, male producer Jordan Peele. You know, they 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 wrote this themselves, and then you know they they weighed heavily in the production. Uh, you know, all the behind scenes stuff that really shapes the film. You know, there were black folk at work crafting this narrative for this particular film so did it have did it did it hit different for you yeah i mean i mean when i think about the first film i think about the fact that it's um you know got a white protagonist um that is essentially going uh to the hood um or to a housing project to um study um, and therefore, uh, I guess, illuminate or, or bring to, to bear something for her dissertation uh, about 
this, what, Candyman, right? Um, and so in this one, we're very much, it's kind of parallel into the fact that you have this, this um, artist who is African-American, but you have this artist who is going back. He does, I don't think he understands it's home, um, but is, is going back uh, to kind of maybe find his muse, it seems like. I don't know. Is mm-hmm. that fair to say he seems uh, to be a little adrift uh, in his journey as an artist? Um, right. And so he, too, is there with the camera. He, you know, you can see them trying to draw some parallels between mm-hmm. uh, these two um, characters that happen well over time. But here we are in this new iteration. This character is an African-American man. And then it comes, oh, I don't, well, we should we, what about spoilers? Are we worried? Oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, Are we spoilers. worried? <laughs> About well, because this is this is well, new now. This is yeah, this is a new one. So we this can just is, keep it light on the new one. Now the now the other one that came out in ninety two, nah, you know. Yeah. If you haven't seen it by now, nah, I'm not worried about a spoiler. But yeah, the new one. Well, was, yeah. So yeah. so what I'll say, what I'll say is right. um uh, just because this is a new one and it's coming out in a pandemic, everybody can't get to the theaters and all that. What I will right. say is um that uh I feel like this one is more grounded in a narrative that is um, sympathetic and um, to black folks um, okay. <laughs> and to, to the pain uh, that comes with um, living in America. And I think that it's clear once you see this show, once you see the movie, what it is that the director what Jordan Peele was trying to do. And even if we, if we look at some of his other stuff, if we look at Jordan Peele and um, Get Out, and if we look at, uh, what is the other one? Jesus. With Lupita. What was that one called? Them? About us, 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 us. Thank you. Um, and so if we, look, if we look at those, we can see that Jordan is really always kind of playing around with social commentary. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of race, uh, for the for the most part, but other things too, class and, and different things. But certainly he's doing that same thing here in Candyman. And it's a perfect vehicle for, for him and his ideas or, or Nikki Nikia? Nikia DaCosta, I think her name is. Mm-hmm. Is that what she is? Yeah, Mr. Costa. Yeah. Wow. Uh it's a perfect vehicle for them. Uh it was kind of set up I will say problematically, but set up for them to now take the helm and um, make it a deeper story, and which is what I think that they did. I feel yeah. like they did that, yes. and yeah. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what else Miss DaCosta has up coming up. Uh, I'll keep an eye out because I really like, you know, I'm not going to get into the details, but of the newer film. But I mean, just the cinematography, the score, this, you know, some are. The, the visual language used for the film, yeah, very promising director, um, and it's it's so it's so it's so great to see these talented young black women take the helm and be be able to lead and execute and produce uh, this type of you know this art. Yeah, um, you know, and television. 
I'll, I'll say there's there's a lot of theatricality to it, especially when we think about the beginning opening scene and how there's puppetry and how there's, you know, how they're telling that story in terms of like um, cutouts and all of that kind of thing. It, it reminded me very much of uh, Karen Walker, um, who's a visual artist um, and kind of the motifs that she plays around with in terms of uh, racial trauma in um, America. And so it just, it was very resonant and really, she did a really, really good job of of kind of bringing in all of those elements. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Awesome. What, so without telling well, it anything, what were your thoughts about the second one? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was already a fan of the original uh, film. Uh, even the short story that it was based upon, The Forbidden, uh, written by Clive Barker, who is a white Englishman, so completely different. It was interesting to see the evolution from that short story to the 92 film and the themes it explored to you know what we have in this current uh, iteration. Um, so give us a yeah. breakdown of The Forbidden. Like, what is... I mean, it's, again, it's... It's just instead of Cabrini Green, you know, substitute like some, you know, I guess, you know, London, East in London type setting. I um, see. And it doesn't have the same, you know, components, obviously, uh, as this one. So it's, 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 it's different. I mean, the, you know, it, it's, 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 just, it's different. I mean, Candyman is, it was definitely more impactful and has a different, you know, it hits different by virtue of, you know, being melanated to the extent that the uh, the monster or villain in that film is, and then the you know all the subtext and the sort of racial dynamics and the exploring you know the horror trauma and some of the stuff that you touched on that was problematic. Um, so, but you know, for any Lovecraft Country fan out there that's you know looking for something maybe you hadn't seen. The original or the more recent one, and I do recommend. I think you, will, if you see the original '92 film, you'll probably have a maybe a greater appreciation of the the current film. There's, you know, there are a lot of things that connect that um, will certainly uh, enhance your viewing experience of, of the newer one. So, yeah, just in um, terms of plot too. There, I yeah, mean, I think plotting, they can some appearances, yeah. some some, you know, uh, but. You know, just if you're looking for some stream, whatnot, you know, check it out. Um, I don't have much else to offer with regards to scratching that Lovecraft Country itch. I guess all we can do is just look forward to any future projects uh, from Miss Misha Green and all the players, cast members of, of the show. And um, sure, you man, can always we- you can always go back and watch it again. Like <laughs> right. You know, there's 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 always that. Um, so you know what? And what about fan fiction? I know there's some talented people out there. I mean, other properties. You know, people shows in and people going and write little stories based on the show. That's like a whole genre. Yeah, that's uh, a whole thing. Uh, yeah, of fan fiction. So you know, if you guys out there, I mean, maybe who knows? If you write something good enough, you know, maybe somebody will pick it up and do something with it. I think uh, didn't the Twilight was it? Was it um Fifty Shades of Grey or Twilight? One of the, didn't one of those start off as fan fiction? I forget. Oh, I don't know. Which Maybe. one? Maybe. Yeah, one know. of one of those um, 
was literally fan fiction for something else. And then, it, you know, and it, and it became a thing. So, Well, if you guys out there, if you write anything, let us know. Maybe we could do a podcast yeah. on it. I don't know. You know um, or some artwork or something. I don't know. I just need to, I need my little, I miss, uh, what a, just what a, what a great ride. What a, just what, what a treat it was. Yeah. And again, I don't think it'll be fully appreciated, you know, until maybe some years down the line and when we recognize like, wow, we don't, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll get something else, but I just, we've never had anything of that magnitude and who knows if we will again, but. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I certainly want to say thank you to our podcast listeners. Um, like this was absolutely a show that I was so excited about. Um, and because of this podcast and the listeners and Ambrose and everyone, I was able to come on week by week <laughs> um, and share my excitement and share my theories, wrong or right. Um, and so it was, a, it was a really great community, right, to build uh, amongst ourselves uh, about the, around the work. Absolutely. So and it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating that, um, you know, the show has been out there for a year. And people still continue to trickle in, probably discover the show, stream it, watch it, you know, find various podcasts, including this one. And even the audience is like global. Like um, you'd be surprised. I mean, there are people from literally all over the world that you know obviously watch the show, but even listen to this little podcast. I mean, you know, Asia, Africa, all the continents, England. France, Belgium, like just you, you'd be amazed. Um, so, and that's the power of of, of art. Um, so that's right. So it's certainly gone, but definitely won't be forgotten. And it's you know, I guess we should be grateful we live in a world, uh, thanks to the internet, where we can always stream or access stuff, um, both past and present. Oh my so, gosh! Can uh, you imagine? Like, <laughs> do you remember on VHS and recording things, <laughs> like? On a VHS tape, like I remember having Old VHS. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't need that anymore. You don't need all of those nah. tapes. You can just you just need just some good good internet connection, and you're good. You can watch almost anything from anywhere. So with that, and again, I want to thank my wonderful co-host. Um, likewise, likewise. On this on this journey, you know, um, I don't know. How many of you were around for the first few struggle episodes when I was doing this thing solo before I was blessed enough to have someone join me and provide a great conversation and insight in the show? But, um, man, it's, it's just been a, an amazing experience. And, who, you know, who knows? You know, I mean, if something else worthy comes along, worth talking about, mm-hmm. we might have to re-up and... You never know. You never know. We got to absolutely Listen. even shout out uh, Corey as well and all of that. Yes, Corey. Corey is a, um, who of the Literacy Kings podcast. Um, he, uh, he joined me for Redux uh, editions of maybe the first four episodes of the podcast. So, yeah, shout out to Corey and everything they're doing. Um, I said you should definitely check out the Literacy Kings podcast if you're not familiar uh, they're doing big things. Uh, and just everyone who's ever bothered to rate, review, comment, send an email. Um, thank you, know, you thank we'll pass you, thank it. you. The, the, the email box will be open. I don't know, you know, 
and definitely how long. But so, you know, it could be a couple of years in the future if you happen to trip and fumble and discover, you know, not only the show, but this little podcast. And you want to send in a little comment, you know, we'll, we'll still be watching, listening. Give them and, and give them the email address. Yes, it is love. And I'll put it in the show notes, but it's a Lovecraft Country Companion at gmail.com. And there'll be a link in the show notes, along with some other links for uh, different uh, videos and articles related to the show, to the performers, Michael K. Williams and whatnot. And uh, again, it's been a year. Uh, we were hoping to do season two, but that didn't happen with the show. So we just felt uh, the show was deserving of a proper wrap up and send off. Yeah. Uh, and so with that, we uh, will we'll send you off with a, a nice audio clip of a monologue from the, uh, the great Michael K. Williams. Just we thought all was lost. The stranger showed up swinging a baseball bat like he was Jackie Robinson. Who runs with the head? He saved us all. The last thing he said before he disappeared was, "I got you, kid." We must have fucked something up coming through the port. You're the mysterious stranger.